and now I will introduce today's guest. The Honourable Kathleen Wynne, Minister of Transportation, was last at this podium four years ago, and we are honoured to have her back. Transportation is at the core of the province's infrastructure enhancement plan, and Minister Wynne's ministry is taking a proactive approach to making sure that the people, industries, and businesses of our province are moving safely and on time. The ministry's vision is ambitious yet necessary to be a world leader in moving people and goods safely, efficiently, and sustainably, and to support a global competitive economy and a high quality of life. Now, if only we could fit all of that on a bumper sticker. Our roads, highways, and transportation systems are something that many of us take for granted and others bemoan. Minister Wynne's responsibilities include some of the most remote communities in North America, some of the busiest highways in the world, and some of the most hotly debated public transit dilemmas known to humankind. Our transportation ministry provides oversight for the approximately 11 million registered vehicles, 9 million drivers, and 85,000 bus and truck companies actively operating on our highways. As a result of the ministry's focus on road safety, including seatbelt campaigns, rigorous sanctions, and graduated licensing systems, our highways are among the safest in the world. Minister Wynne has been Head of Transportation for the province since January 2010. She was first elected as MPP for Don Valley West in October 2003 and was re-elected to a second term in October 2007. In September 2006, she was sworn in as Minister of Education a role she held for more than three years, leading the government's efforts to bring smaller classes to early grades, improve test scores, and create more opportunities for high school students to reach their full potential. Prior to becoming an NPP, she served as a school trustee in Toronto. She has spent many years as an organizer and a facilitator, helping school communities grapple with education issues. Minister Wynne holds a master's degree in linguistics from the University of Toronto and a master's degree in adult education from the Ontario Institute for Studies in Education at the U of T. She has also completed mediation training at Harvard University. Bring on those hotly debated public transit dilemmas. The minister is ready. Please join me in welcoming the Honorable Kathleen Wynne to the podium as she speaks to how our provincial government is moving our economy and connecting our communities. Thank you, Nick. Thank you very much for that very kind introduction. It's, uh, it's wonderful to be with you all here today. And uh, it's, it's really a pleasure to have an opportunity to be able to talk about the story of transportation in Ontario right now. And I like, to, I like to think about it as a story about the bones of our province, what holds us up. And as Nick has said, we often take those bones, as we take our own bones for granted, until they break. And I look at Howard Brown, who has a broken arm. So when they break, we have to fix them. So we have to try to keep them from breaking. So I want to just uh, start by telling you two quick anecdotes that I think illustrate the themes that are going to run through my remarks today. The first one is 
that on the, uh, on the day that um, Jim Bradley, who was my predecessor, handed me the keys to the Ministry of Transportation office, he said to me, of all of the files that needed to be attended to, the state of the 13,000 municipal bridges in Ontario topped the list for him. So that wasn't the 2,720 provincial bridges, because he said we have a pretty good handle on those. It's the municipal bridges, which, like so much of our baby boom infrastructure, are deteriorating. So that's the first picture, first picture of the bones I want you to think about. The second, uh, the second story was um, I was driving out St. Clair Avenue West um, recently, and uh, I was stopped at Vaughan and St. Clair beside a stopped streetcar. And I, I watched the driver get out of the, out of the streetcar and grab an ancient pole with a, a metal hook on the end of it. And he walked around to the front of the car and he switched the track manually. And I was thinking, I bet that's the same pole that's been used for 100 years. So for me, these stories illustrate the issues of aging infrastructure and the need for new technology if we're going to encourage a culture shift that's going to address the congestion in our province, in our cities in particular, is going to help people to get out of their cars and get onto transit and is going to change the way we think about how to move around. And I remind people when I, um, when I talk to them about 1916 when the ministry which I lead was founded it was called the Department of Highways. And we have to remember that. So there's an evolution that has to happen, and we're in the middle of that. And I think that, uh, I think that it's a very exciting time to be in transportation, and that's what I want to talk about today. So let, let's talk about the big transportation picture in Ontario right now, because that's a story that has an impact on every single business and every single family in the province. You know, I was the Minister of Education and I loved being the Minister of Education and I always talk to people about how education touches everyone's lives. But transportation touches everyone's lives. And they know it. Sometimes you have to talk for a minute to convince people how education touches their lives if they've, you know, they're, they've graduated and they don't have kids in the system. But you never have to, never have to convince people that transportation affects their lives. So, that's, uh, that's why this is such a critical conversation. J'aimerais maintenant vous donner une vue d'ensemble des transports en Ontario au moment où que je parle, car les répercussions, j'en suis convaincue, sont recensées par chaque entreprise et chaque foyer de cette province. Now, across the street, uh, there's an impressive piece of Canadian architecture, and it's the busiest transportation hub in Canada. Union Station serves almost 200,000 passengers a day. And when it opened in 1927, the Prince of Wales, who was visiting with his brother, who was recently profiled in the King's Speech, said, you build your stations like we build our cathedrals. And now Union Station, that cathedral in downtown Toronto, is being transformed to equip it for the 21st century. The GO Transit Concourse space is being tripled to accommodate passenger growth over the next decades. It'll include pedestrian concourses, retail services, and a new glass atrium over the train shed. And all of that will be done by 2015. 
And this, for me, is a metaphor, this revitalization of Union Station. It's a metaphor for the dynamic renewal of transportation that's happening in Ontario for the 21st century. And it means that there will be inconvenience. There's a lot of work going on there, and I think you, uh, you have experienced that. The public policy questions that we're confronting today are challenging ones. And I know it was ever thus, but I believe that the issues of aging infrastructure and the need to provoke a culture shift in transportation are even more challenging than the questions that were confronting politicians in Ontario in, say, the 50s or the 60s or the 70s. I've heard, in fact, Premier Bill Davis admit that he was able to govern in the best of all possible times. Growth and optimism abounded. New roads, new subways, new schools were the order of the day. And I remember so vividly trotting off to the subway with my grandmother, white gloves and all, to ride from Eglinton down to College Street or to Queen Street to have lunch at Eaton's. And it was so exciting for both of us. It was exciting for me because I was able to be with my grandma in downtown Toronto growing up in Richmond Hill. It was a thrill. But it was exciting for her because the subway was so new. It was this fascinating new piece of of, uh, transportation infrastructure. Half the kids in my kindergarten class at McKillop Public School in Richmond Hill in 1958 were waiting for the new school in Pleasantville to be built because a new, a new sub, um, subdivision had just popped up and the school board was catching up with the baby boomers and the 401 wasn't even complete at that time. So the point I'm making is that in my lifetime, that demographic shift has been profound. And that shift from youth to age is reflected in the infrastructure that is the same age as me. It's the roads, the bridges, the the legacy transit. And if I paraphrase Leonard Cohen, it aches in the places where it used to play. So there you go. (laughs) I am not suggesting for a moment that we can allow those challenges to daunt us. I went running this morning. The bones are there. Any more than aging can daunt any one of us as individuals. But our work today, our ability to retain and articulate a positive future and our capacity for hope will have implications for our children and our grandchildren. Because that optimism is necessary in order for the public to buy into the investments that we have to make. So, when we came to office in 2003, we were facing an infrastructure deficit. We got to work. We began to reverse 30 years of decline. And the numbers demonstrate that that's exactly what was happening. In the 1980s, the per capita investment in infrastructure was negative $75. So in other words, there was deterioration that was allowed to uh, creep in. In the 90s, it edged up just over that positive line to about $25 per capita. But really, it was into the 2000s where you saw exponential growth. So between 2004 and 2009, that amount was increased to $225 per capita. And that's the largest investment since the high point of the 60s. But our success has has depended not just on those numbers, but also on our ability to build strong relationships with businesses, with communities, with the construction industry, municipal governments. Much of what we've been able to accomplish is because we've been able to have a respectful dialogue with all of those partners. And by that I mean when the Attorney General and I traveled just after I was appointed up to Shoal Lake, which is near the the Manitoba border, to meet with the First Nations. 
Shoal Lake 39 to meet with them and talk with them about what the expansion of Highway 17 was going to mean to them. Was it possible for us to leverage those dollars to provide training and, and apprenticeship opportunities for the uh, people living in that First Nation? So that kind of infrastructure investment becomes much broader in terms of the economy of people across the province. So we're very fortunate in Ontario. We have a central location, we have access to resources, we have proximity to the U.S., and we need to take advantage of all of that if we're going to be able to be competitive in the global economy in the 21st century. We're facing rapid and exponential population growth, particularly in the 905. So Markham, for example, is expected, the population is expected to jump by 50% over that period. And Richmond Hill is once again one of the fastest growing municipalities in Canada. Every day, $610 million worth of goods cross our shared border with the United States. And last year, our roads in Ontario carried 75% of all Canada-U.S. trade. Not Ontario-U.S. trade, but Canada-U.S. trade. But we have some challenges. It's been estimated that the annual cost of that congestion that I talked about to productivity of the region is about $6 billion. And that's a cost we cannot afford to continue to pay. A recent Ministry of Finance report looked at the year 2025 and said that the province's success, our overall economic success, will depend on our transportation infrastructure, will depend on those bones being in good shape. So what have we done since 2003 to renew baby boom infrastructure, to help Ontario's people and goods move more efficiently and sustainably? Uh, across our province to improve public transit and to address congestion, while at the same time fostering innovation. The first thing we've done is we have invested in a season of renewal for highways, bridges, and border infrastructure. Last year was a record year. $2.8 billion was allocated for the design, repair, and expansion of 120 bridges, more than 1,144 kilometers of roads, just to put that in perspective, that's the distance from here at the Royal York to Moncton, New Brunswick, okay? That's the amount of road that we have uh, built and rehabilitated. And all of that created or sustained more than 17,500 jobs. Since 2003, we've invested $13 billion in those kinds of projects. And in fact, we were renewing and improving the network before the economic downturn. And I want to, I will return to that point because this investment and this incremental um, maintenance and renewal of our infrastructure can't just be in reaction to an economic event. It has to be what we do as a matter of course, in the same way that we maintain uh, all of our infrastructure. We have to keep making those investments in an incremental way. And I believe now that the return on investment is becoming apparent. Commercial traffic can get to market in better time, and roads are in better repair in the province. We're building high-occupancy vehicle lanes uh, on the 404, the QEW, the 403, and the plan is to build about 450 kilometers of those HOV lanes in the next 25 years. And again, that's an investment in new pavement, but it's an investment in carpooling. It's an investment in people's quality of life as they can travel more quickly between home and work, between school and work, and so on. So it also means that goods can move um, more efficiently across the region on less congested, less congested roads. 
There are fewer greenhouse gases because we're doing things like recycling existing pavement and we're using old tires in road construction. We've put rebates in place for electric uh, vehicles and there's more work to be done, but we have begun the work on alternative fuels, so there's more to be done there. We can replace bridges in a few days instead of a few months. And this is all in the vein of innovation. I had the privilege of, uh, of going to the um, Aberdeen Bridge Replacement Site on Highway 403, which happened over a period of 24 hours. There were bleachers set up on the side of the highway so people could watch the way this bridge uh, was being replaced. These, just imagine a bridge across a major highway, cut it in half, and then imagine the vehicle that has to move that piece of bridge so it can be dropped into place. People were very excited about it. Nobody was more excited about it than the guys, and I do say guys because they were guys who were driving that equipment. It's the moment they'd been waiting for since they were 10. So it was, and they admitted it. I said, you just love this, don't you? Yeah. So they were there overnight building that bridge. Um, but that's the kind of infrastructure excitement that helps the public to buy into renewal. And that's what we, that's what we need. We're also finding ways to partner with uh, the private sector. The alternative financing and procurement process is an innovative way for the government to deliver on its commitment because we have so much to do in terms of catching up on, uh, on that, those infrastructure builds. The AFP model allows the government to leverage those tax dollars. It allows the government to have more flexibility and it shares the interest and risk with the private sector. And so it's a, a really important way that we can um, make those tax dollars work for the whole population. And there are no better examples of AFP projects than the Windsor-Essex Parkway and the 407 East uh, extension. The Windsor-Essex Parkway will move thousands of trucks off the downtown Windsor streets and put them on a, a new parkway that will be partially tunneled, that will have parks over the, uh, over the tunnels, and it will move that traffic onto a, a new bridge that is the source of negotiation between the federal government and the Michigan government right now. I won't say more than that. I'm sure we'll get there. But our project, the, uh, the parkway, is well on its way, and um, it will be a terrific asset. And it's one of the things that business has bemoaned for years, that bottleneck. The, the 407 East, I'm sure you've, uh, you've been reading, it will uh, extend from Brock Road where it ends now out to 35115. So those are really important new processes, the, uh, the financing process to, to help us get those uh, projects built. The second part of our strategy is to invest in public transit. And since 2003, we've invested more than $10.8 billion across the province. And in fact, our government's responsible for the largest transit investment in a generation. And that is a significant reality that we're, uh, that we're getting those projects built. In order to make the right decisions and allocate the money in the right way, because that's a lot of money, we needed to have the right structure. So we created the Transit Authority, Metrolinx, we merged it with Go Transit, and we gave it the task of implementing the regional transit plan. We've also enacted the Places to Grow and Greenbelt legislation. And those are related to rational transportation planning because what they do is they limit the growth on some of the most, the, the most um, important arable land in the world, not just in the country, but in the world. And at the same time, um, 
encourage growth in a rational way where it should be happening, including integrated transportation plans. So those are very important planning mechanisms that we put in place. Go Transit carries 57 million passengers annually. We're expanding Go Transit, putting longer trains on to increase seating. We're building more parking so that people can get to the get to the stations and leave their cars. And we're making improvements on the Georgetown South Corridor. I think one of the most important things that we've done is we've put in place sustainable funding for municipal transit because remember I said the ministry was the Department of Highways. So transit has traditionally been a municipal endeavor. And what we've recognized is that there needs to be a partnership with municipalities in order for the kind of transit that needs to be built to actually get built. And so the two cents of the gas tax that goes to municipalities based on population and readership, <laughs> readership, ridership, it's like readership because you're on the train reading, right? <laughs> ridership. Um, that is predictable, sustainable funding that, will, that municipalities can count on. And those are the important catalysts for uh, municipal building. Beyond all of those numbers is the impact on the people who are working, for example, in, our Bombardier, in the Bombardier factory in Thunder Bay. When I visited there to uh, announce the uh, contract to build the light rail vehicles, what it meant was workers came up to me and said, that means I can have a good job until I retire. That means that maybe my kids will stay in Thunder Bay because they'll be able to get a good job in the factory. So those big projects translate right down to individuals' lives and economic growth in our communities. There are some Toronto-specific projects that I just want to touch on. Um, you will know that uh, Metrolinx and our government and the mayor of Toronto have an agreement on a revised transit plan that's going to allow us uh, at the province to move ahead with the, the most important regional project, um, we believe, which is the Eglinton-Scarborough Crosstown line. It's a project that is well overdue, and we're, uh, we're very excited we're going to be able to move ahead on that. And then the city will work on the, um, the Shepherd subway, but our investment of $8.2 billion will create about 82,000 jobs and, as I say, will relieve some of the worst transit pressures that we have in the city. Another important Toronto project is the dedicated air rail link. Um, that will be complete by 2015 and what it'll do is it will, in time for the Pan Am Games, it will uh, provide an express train every 15 to 20 minutes and about 25 minutes service from Pearson to Union Station. I'm asked often about this. I'm asked whether it's going to be done in time. We're on target to have it done by the Pan Am Games, and it's a very exciting project. And I think it's one that when people say to me, well, how do you get from Pearson to downtown, people expect when they come to the city that there will be an efficient way to do that. So it's a very important project. And on a recent uh, visit to the airport, I had the opportunity to have a tour and the GTAA has got the platform ready. for They're ready and waiting for the, the train to arrive. So, uh, so that's a, a good, successful um, project. The Spadina subway uh, to extension to Vaughan will be complete by late 2015. And all of these projects, although they're Toronto projects, they expand beyond the, uh, the city of Toronto. They reinforce the vision of a regional transportation system. And Metrolinx is, uh, is implementing that regional transportation vision. So if we talk about Mississauga Bus Rapid Transit, for example, or Brampton Zoom BRT, or Durham Highway 2 BRT, or the York Viva BRT, all of those are part of that regional plan. 
the, one of the mechanisms that we have and that we need for a regional transportation plan is a smart fare card that can allow people to move from one system to another without having to find another ticket or find another token. And so the Presto card, which Nick held up earlier, is, um, is that mechanism. It's going to allow people, there's already 36,000 um, riders who use a Presto card. It will allow people to get on a bus in Mississauga, get on the GO train, come down to Union Station, get on the subway, all with one card. And that, again, it's something that people expect, and we are making that happen. The third initiative that we've taken is on a more national plane because, you know, the, the challenges that we're confronting in Ontario are not unique to us. They go across borders. We recognize that our railways and our airports and our marine ports all have to be part of a, a, an integrated transportation solution. And a lot of our planning in the past has been done in silos. That's not good enough anymore. So uh, we're working with my Quebec uh, counterpart, my federal counterpart, who will be someone different. I've been working with Chuck Strahl for the last little while. Um, but those conversations are very important. They're important to projects like the Continental Gateway Strategy, so that that international trade corridor, where there needs to be in, uh, infrastructure upgrading, we have a coordinated plan to do that. They're important in the conversation about high-speed rail, for example, from Quebec City to Windsor. Now, that's a that's a project that's been talked about for 30 years, but it's something that is a very high priority for uh, the Premier, uh, Premier McGuinty, and for Premier Charest in, in Quebec. So those national plans are very, very critical to us here in Ontario because we are a major player in making them happen. The other, I guess the other conversation, given that, this, that we've got a federal election going on right now, um, I've been heard to say publicly that we need a national transportation plan. We need to have an ongoing national blueprint for what our integrated transportation solutions are going to be across the country. And that's something that we can look forward to. Um, I've talked about our Windsor-Essex uh, Parkway um, strategy, and that is, again, part of that international, national um, plan that we need to put in place. All of these projects are designed to bring Ontario literally up to speed. That's what this is about. If we're going to be successful socially, economically, we need to be a world leader in moving people around, moving goods around, and that's the vision that we're implementing. It's the same impetus, quite frankly, that drove Lord Simcoe to found York, to direct the building of Young and Dundas streets, and to encourage settlement and trade. It drove McDonald to get a railroad built to uh, open up the West. It inspired the building of the Toronto Transit Commission, the Highway 401, the Trans-Canada Highway. And all of those projects opened doors to economic growth, to the transformation of communities. And with this vast geography of ours, allowed us to be communities that were more connected, allowed us to be a country that's more connected. I think you could argue allowed us to be a country. It was that critical to our founding. Tout ceci constitue une ouverture sur la croissance économique, sur la transformation des communautés et sur la création d'une province et d'un pays qui sont plus reliés. We're experiencing a transformation in transportation in Ontario through the uh, investments in transit the uh, renewal of our bridges and our highways and our roads through those partnerships that I spoke about. All of those critical ventures are part of this transformation. And 
by, by doing that, we're building powerful economic muscle. That's what, that's what this is about. And that's why this transformation, this transportation transformation, is part of why Ontario's turning the corner. Our investments alone in, transpor- in transportation have created more than 200,000 jobs. And it's the builders, the designers, the engineers, the construction workers, the businesses, and the suppliers who have been part of that transportation renewal story. And that's part of the larger Ontario economic good news story. But I do want to leave you with this message today. It matters who is in government. Our government has taken the long view. We have made investments in infrastructure, in human capital, and in forging partnerships that will stretch long into the future. We had the will to envision a future for our communities by making infrastructure investments that stretch beyond the short term. And we had the, bi- the will to begin to repair those old bones, if I can go back to that metaphor. And that's a difficult thing for government to do because uh, it takes years, it takes decades for these investments to bear fruit. There are no ribbon cuttings in my immediate future because those projects, all those projects I talked about, are going to take a very long time to, uh, to be realized. So in front of Queen's Park, Lord Simcoe's statue, that same Lord Sim- Simcoe, faces down on University Avenue. He's the visionary who transformed Upper Canada and he wouldn't look, he wouldn't know the place. He wouldn't know the place now. But he looked ahead. He knew that building York and uh, York, Young and Dundas streets would attract settlement and trade. It did. Ontario developed. We never looked back. He wouldn't recognize all the forms of transportation that are on and, and above and below University Avenue. But I think if we gave him a briefing, he'd say, well done. People of vision, keep it up. Thank you very, very much. Thank you very much, Minister Wynn. As I mentioned earlier, uh, the Minister has graciously agreed to take questions from our audience. We have Lynn with a microphone on this side and Steph with a microphone on this side. We have a gentleman with his hand up. Uh, Let's get the questions going. Thank you, Minister, for your uh, well-considered remarks. Thank you. As a resident of uh, Toronto, I have to say we're very grateful for all of the services that your ministry has provided. As a shareholder of SNC-Lavalin, I'm an employee of SNC-Lavalin. We've appreciated the opportunity to provide assistance, even some investment, in Ontario's old bones, as you put it. I'd like to turn your attention a little bit, if I could, to new bones. Okay. Um, You made mention of uh, uh, First Nation communities in the north. And uh, SNC-Lavalin has a very strong uh, culture of mining. And I was wondering if your agency is giving any thoughts to potential new bones that might help to connect us into the Ring of Fire up in north-central Ontario. Absolutely. It's a great question. So the Ring of Fire is a a huge chromite deposit that has been discovered in northern Ontario, and um, we are really going to be investing time, energy, money, planning into making sure that we make the most of uh, of that deposit. 
So um, there is a, a, you may know, there's a northern transportation plan that's being developed as part of the discussion around the Ring of Fire. I can't give you specifics right now, but I know that there is a, a discussion about how much rail, how much road, where of each do we need, uh, all of that. So it's very much on our uh, on our front burner, and we, we're in, um, in partnership with the Ministry of, De- of Northern Development and Mines and Forestry because that's who has carriage of much of the planning, but the Ministry of Transportation is a, a partner at the table with the, with the folks in that ministry to make sure that we have the right transportation links available. Hi, Minister. Uh, Phil Dewan from Council of Public Affairs here with RCCAO. I just wanted to go back to the old bones for a minute. Uh, you mentioned at the very beginning the anecdote with, uh, with Jim Bradley coming in and issuing the caution about municipal bridges. And I know that's not directly under pur- your purview, but there's obviously a lot of overlap. Can you give us a bit of sense of how that sort of lingering problem is going to be addressed? Yeah, it's, it's great, Phil. Thanks for taking me back to that because, um, yeah, he said I had to fix it. <laughs> I haven't fixed it yet, but here's what's happening. The Association of Municipalities of Ontario is actually right now um, going to be, they are talking about what are the long-term, what's the long-term vision for how we're going to be able to work together, municipality and province, to make sure that the infrastructure, whether it's roads or bridges, quite frankly, there are roads that were downloaded at one point or another to the municipalities. Um, The bridge problem is uh, is something that we we absolutely have to get on. So they're having a conversation. I'm expecting some advice from them in the coming months on what's the sustainable solution to that. The other reality is, I mentioned in my opening remarks that the... um, the provincial bridges, we have a pretty good handle on the infrastructure, the state of our, uh, of our provincial infrastructure. We don't have the same degree of confidence in our knowledge about municipal infrastructure. So we've actually given uh, municipalities money to put together um, in a um, municipal data works project an inventory of all of those bridges because we can't fix what we don't know about. So um, so we've been a partner in funding that project so we can get a handle on exactly what state the bridges are in and then the next conversation is well okay so how do we uh, how do we work on them? So that is those are the two things that we're doing. This one over there. Minister Wynn, it's been said that good public policy is inextricably interwoven. And as the former Minister of Education, and myself as a former Director of Education, I want to commend your government on your efforts in assisting youth understanding safety. And I think what you've done to help young people and young drivers understand their responsibilities is laudable and uh, hear, hear. Thank you. And I thank you, Joan. And our, uh, I, didn't, I didn't talk about road safety. We have the safest roads in North America except for PEI, but I don't think that's a fair comparison. So, because there are only six cars, I shouldn't say that, six cars in PEI. But we have very, very safe roads. We've put a lot of uh, regulation and legislation in place to make them even safer. And that's an ongoing conversation. There are always new things that we can be doing. Um, It's one of the areas where um, sometimes the public and the, um, the evidence don't necessarily mesh. So there may be something that the evidence says we should be doing in order to make our roads safer, and the public may not be so, so keen. So there's always, a, there's always a discussion between public and uh, evidence-based policy, but it's ongoing, and I think we have been a leader in many, many ways, distracted driving and so on. Thank you. Good? Oh, we're good? Okay. 
Thanks, everybody. Thanks for being here. I would now like to call Howard Brown, a director of the Canadian Club, to the podium. Thank you, Nick. Thank you, Minister. It's my honour to be asked today to bring uh, the thanks to you, Minister, on behalf of the Canadian Club. And I, First, when uh, Jennifer and Nick asked me to do it, I wasn't sure if it was because I uh, was, a, as a university student, worked a summer as, uh, pay, on a paving crew for the Ministry of Transportation, or if it was because uh, I'm a huge fan of your work for the last 15 years in the community and politically. But then I discovered I got picked because of I was the guy with the broken arm to show you the importance of good bones. And whether they're old bones or new bones, Minister, you did a great job showing us today the importance of our transportation system. Not only the roads, not only the bridges, the transportation systems of transit and everything else, the good work you're doing across this province. And we're delighted to have you with us today. I want to thank you for being with us and providing us with really what was a most impressive update of the tremendously important work that not only you as minister, your department, and your government is doing on behalf of all of us in Ontario. We heard from your boss, the Premier, on Friday about the importance that is placed in securing our province's future. Specifically, he talked about our health care. But your ministry has certainly been instrumental in providing the infrastructure to make sure our goods are transported on time, the drivers and commuters arrive safely, you talked about safety in your questions, to their destination, and that our families feel secure on the almost 17,000 kilometers of highways throughout our province. Minister Wynne, your accomplishments have been built on really a lifetime of community and political activity and public service, and we wish you much continued success in your current portfolio and in future ones. Thank you for joining with us this afternoon. Thank you. Thank you, Howard. Thank you again, Minister Wynne, and thanks once more to the Residential and Civil Construction Alliance of Ontario, the Ontario Road Builders Association, and SNC-Lavalin, for making this event possible. This concludes our television programming, which has been broadcast live on Rogers TV. We are grateful to Rogers TV and 680 News for their continuing promotion of Canadian Club events. Thanks to all of you for joining us. This meeting is now adjourned.